Let me open us with prayer, and then we're going to jump into this whole topic about discipline. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather here this morning, we pray that You will be present with us through the power of Your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we consider our lives, our situations, our circumstances, as we consider about this important topic of discipline, Lord, we pray that You will bless and be with us, guide our thoughts, comfort, challenge, equip us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Okay, getting up on a Saturday morning and starting to talk about discipline, I know that is just like not on your hit parade list, but this is the way I want to get us started into the whole idea of discipline. We've got four items here. Again, this is based on a true story. A mom, probably in her late 30s, mom has four kids. She's at her wit's end. We've got a probably a four-year-old, four to five-year-old who is throwing a tantrum. There is a cloth diaper, and there is a split-level type banister, stairway banister. These are four items. Your task is to make up a story based on these four items. Using all four items, how would you, what kind of story do you think could come up with these four items? Distraught mom, toddler throwing a fit, cloth diaper, stairway banister. Go. What do you think? Just, just use your creative imagination. What would happen with those four things? You say it out loud. Yeah, yeah. This is this is group participation. And there's no right or wrong answer. I want to see where you go with it. Ah, okay. That's a very good one. Alright, so the kid took the diaper off. A messy diaper? Alright, messy diaper. And was mimicking mom trying to clean the banister. That's very good. We haven't heard that one before. That's very good. <laughs> That's where your brain went. Okay, so we got two for the messy diaper cleaning the stairwell. Anybody else? Just go ahead. Throw it out there. Okay. Mom's changing messy diaper. Kid gets up, runs, falls down the stairs. Very good. All right. Anybody else? Don't, don't be... I mean, just... Number well, there are other children, uh, and that's pro that's probably true because this is that right this time there is a child, a daughter, nine years old, tantrum throwing son, five years old, another son, four years old, and another child under one. Oh, and I forgot to mention, dad is not at home. Dad is traveling quite a bit. Speaking on weekends, yeah. No. What you get? You gonna change it now? Just, <laughs> just told her to calm down. Okay. All right. You're gonna have some marriage counseling. <laughs> All right. Here's the story. This is based on a true story. It's a family story from our house, and it does involve me. I was the five-year-old child, and I was throwing a tantrum 
And I, at that time in my life, I threw a lot of tantrums. And my mother was trying to get some housework done. And so my mother wanted to get some work done. I think she was ironing or something like that. She took a cloth diaper and tied me to the banister. Oh my <laughs> and the idea was tying me to the banister. She knew where I was. She knew I wasn't going to get hurt because I was tied securely to the banister. And she just let me tantrum it out. Now, here's, here's yes sir. I was, I don't remember, uh, <clears throat> but uh, I don't remember any of this. But here's, here's the extra part of the story, and this is what we use against my mom. At that time in my life, I, have, uh, I had eye problems. And around the time I was, I want to say five or six years old, they, I was almost blind in my right eye. And when they found that I had that eye problem, I had weak eye and I was, my brain was just shutting down on that part. The doctor asked about tantrums and anything like that. And the idea, my mother realized that during that time of life, I was probably unable to articulate. But I did, couldn't understand why I was going blind. And so my mother feels so bad so what we do is whenever we, hey, mom, at least we don't tie our kids to the banister. <laughs> and then another thing, my mom forgot my brother's birthday. A couple, It was when I was graduating from seminary. We were getting everything done, and my mom forgot my brother's birthday. And we never let her live that down. But my mom is wonderful. She's a great mom. My spiritual heritage comes from my mom. So we're able to do that in, uh, in good fun. All right, this is yours. This is something Sue. Uh, My children sent me this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, uh, I actually give them my adult children with spoons in their stockings every year now. <laughs> <laughs> and the kids go, oh, no. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, they, they uh, had stories to tell about wooden spoons appearing. <laughs> but, uh, they were quite, it was quite a conspiracy to hide. I do remember when we moved to my house that we had been living in 11 years, we found wooden spoons tucked under, up, up, behind. And the most sure places, it was kind of like, we're getting rid of this. We kind of get a hold of one without, because that was sort of the, that was the rod of correction in our household. But they do say as well, um, Mom, we did. We don't feel like we were abused. You know, our culture. There's a real tendency to to associate abuse with the um, spanking and and with the rod of correction or whatever. You know, you however you want to interpret. And we've had lots of interesting discussions uh, built around those uh, wooden spoons. I got into my daughter's van the other day. And I, I was driving, and I had to borrow the van, and there, tucked in the side pocket, was a wooden spoon. <laughs> I was like, "Yes." I'm thinking about getting these and selling them in the bookstore. <laughs> it's sort of parent parenting conference swag, I guess you could call it. Let's think about the idea of discipline. Um, here we are in a Close military context here for many of you. Uh, what is your impression of discipline? First of all, think about military discipline. And this is sort of 
give me your thoughts, knee-jerk reactions. Military discipline, what comes to your mind? Is it a positive thought? Is it a negative thought? What comes to your mind when you hear military discipline? Punitive? Okay, punitive discipline. So it's a negative thing. Okay, negative thing. Push-ups, alright? So a physical exertion, push-ups. Necessary? Alright, explain that a little bit more. Why is it necessary? If you don't keep those military people in check, they'll go crazy, alright? Alright? Yeah, they go crazy. Alright, what else? Military discipline. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right, peaceful place, military discipline, you don't need it. When you're, when you're in a war situation, is discipline a good thing or a bad thing? Go ahead. Just go back. All right. That, to me, is life-saving. Military discipline is life-saving. Why is that? Yeah, if you don't know what to do, and okay, yes. Yeah, okay, in your name. Ship sinks because you don't know what to do, or you're not sort of, right, next thing, and you've sort of had that, that regimented type thing. Yes. I'm going to make a connection here before we go any further with what you just said. We are going to make a case for the fact that discipline isn't an option with children, that, that it is a requirement that God really does tell us we must do this. And we we see military discipline though is very very painful, very very hard. You know, even something that sometimes will make you hate a sergeant, a drill sergeant. You know, for the kind of, but we rarely associate it with the discipline of our children. Even though, remember last night when I told you what the very first promise of scripture was: life is war. There will be enmity between you, human beings, and the enemy of God. And so when you think about even how difficult military discipline is, he says it's a life-saving thing in the midst of battle. You count on it. You do not want to go to battle with a bunch of people who have not gone through very strict military discipline. You know, and so when you send your kids out into the war, uh, this is another area in which you have to say, am I disciplining them to prepare them for the battles of life? Because it's very similar, and I think that you can take the analogy and go real far with it. So thanks for that. And to pick up on that, uh, remember that there's an enemy that hates you if you follow in Christ. And that enemy hates your children. And not only that, that enemy hates children, period. Because remember what happened in the garden? After the fall... The promise was there will be a seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. And so every birth reminds that enemy of his destruction. Why does Satan hate children? It's because a child of the woman crushed him. And so don't think that you're sort of doing this parenting and that, that Satan's out there, not involved. 
Just as if God's involved. In a, <laughs> I mean, Jesus knew Satan is real. And, and he's real even today. And he wants to destroy families. He wants to destroy children. Um, and we've got to keep that in mind. But one thing I like, and, and I like how y'all brought this up, military discipline, you can look at it in a positive and a negative way. And a lot of your view of it depends on your experience of it. Now let's go on. Parental discipline. Alright, what do you think about with parental discipline? Positive or negative? Alright, necessary. It's a necessary. Are you treating that in a positive sense or a negative sense? Positive sense, most people would, I would think. Positive sense. Parental discipline. What comes to you what come what images come to your mind when you think of parental discipline? Children throwing tantrums and getting tied to the banister. Alright. That's all right. Children throwing tantrums. And so in that case that the necessary comes into play. Alright. What other things? Alright, the fruit of parental discipline is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thing that comes to my mind, uh, we were uh, we were a family. We didn't use spoons. My dad used a belt, and so I remember. And my dad, my dad struggled with anger. Remember, my dad was not a Christian, but he didn't always have to use the belt. He had his a way to set his jaw and turn up his volume. That it was like we scattered. And even though that was somewhat a negative thing, I never doubted that my dad loved me, even in the sense that he was disciplining me. Because most of the time, I knew I was doing bad. <laughs> and it was the consequence of, of my actions. And we find when we meet with um, couples and people in the church, you know, that one of the great struggles is how you view parental discipline from your own experience. Uh, because there there are people that d d they just feel really good about the way their parents discipline them. And I know I have a son and daughter-in-law where the daughter-in-law has horrible physical abuse stories. And so she was very hesitant to do anything um, that could even look like uh, a physical response in discipline to her child. You know, where my son was a wooden spoon survivor. And so they've had a lot of discussions. They've had to talk through a lot to come to a place where they're agreeing on what the discipline in their home looks like. And we understand that. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're in a battle. And so it's very hard to, to – you will not hear from us, do this, do this, do this, and always do this. But it's very important that you have these conversations with your spouses and, and even with your children as to what – is what are the consequences for disobedience? Mm -hmm. Final thing, loving discipline. Here I am, I'm putting part of, uh, adjective in front of the noun discipline. How does it change it? In loving discipline, most people would think a positive sense. But there again, what comes to your mind when you think of loving discipline? What, what makes it loving? Go ahead. Your motive, alright? So your motive is loving. Alright, unpack that a little bit more. What, what's the motive? Right, give me an example of a, where the motive is loving that you can think of. Uh, so my son says, you know, he's 
Okay, three and a half years. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> Uh huh. Right, right, right. Yes. Not only that, what's your motive? Your motive in that case is yourself and you're venting, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I know exactly what that life is like. Uh huh. And this, yeah, and so the motive is his development rather than your convenience. And that, that I would say, that's where a lot of us live when it comes to discipline. Yes, ma'am. these illustrations because it's showing us that loving discipline involves again remember grace based parenting is what you say how you say it and the motive that lies behind it and so those are all things here I love I also love that example I want to hold on to that okay two kids jumping on the bed now you remember last night we talked about free range parenting all right in that kind of situation a free range parent would say Jump on the bed. If she falls off, breaks her neck, she does it. She won't do it again. A helicopter parent would be, you know, like, okay, I'm going to put the camera up so that I can make sure that I, you know, if they do it, they will never jump on the bed because I'll be in there right away. And there's a taskmaster judge. You know, I don't know. I have to think about that more. But that's a good illustration. I'm going to remember that, jumping on the bed. Other ideas, comments on this idea. But I want you to see that as you understand discipline, a lot of it depends on what's the context and what's your past experience. And to echo what Sue said, if you've never had this talk with your spouse about your history, that's probably a good thing. You know, you have premarital counseling, we probably need pre-children counseling as well. Because if you bring this up in a premarital counseling, they don't have ears to hear. But once that baby comes and you realize you don't really get an owner's manual when you leave the hospital, that's when people are saying, how do we do this? And that's part of the blessing of a covenant community. Because you have people who have done well, done poorly, and that's you can enjoy that blessing. Now, look at this text, Hebrews chapter 12. This is where the author of Hebrews is really applying, remember the context of Hebrews. Hebrews is a letter 
written to people who have come to Christ, but now life is just really, really hard because they're Christian. And they're thinking, uh, if I went back to being a Jew, this pressure would be relieved. So, they were struggling, and so the author of Hebrews is addressing this. He said, Consider him who endured sinners from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's talking about Jesus there. Okay, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord, Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. This is where I get to test Richard on Richard. What is it, Old Testament or New Testament? Where is the book of Hebrews? New Testament. Okay, so it's after Christ. The New Testament's all about grace, right? Okay. What is he quoting from? Old Testament, do you know where? This is, this is like Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs is correct. So he's quoting the Old Testament and he's saying the Old Testament still applies here in the New Testament. All that Old Testament, that mean God, no, it's not so much. What he said then is applied now. And then it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which you have all participated, you, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. What did he just say? If you are not disciplined, you are not a child of God. Now, is this just spiritual talk? Or is he talking about something really physically happening in their lives? Go back up. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. He's saying they are going through something really, really awful. And then he goes on in verse 9. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits? and live. For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained Proverbs 3 is what the author of Hebrews is quoting from the book of Proverbs. And do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof. And then Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away and every branch that does bear fruit He prunes that it may bear more fruit. And the idea here is discipline. Uncomfortable this something that's not very pleasant. Now, a lot of times in Christian circles, the whole idea of discipline is sometimes presented, give them grace. 
which means that you don't discipline at all. Especially anything really unpleasant. I argue that that is unbiblical. The key thing about discipline is there has to be an unpleasant consequence to behavior that is against what God desires. Now, what that unpleasant consequence is, I believe that Scripture points to a physical aspect to it. But I know in today's environment, that is not always, you're not always able to do that, especially if a foster child situation. We have to be prudent. But, unpleasant consequence is a key thing. We have books on discipline on the book table that go from one extreme, I think, to the other. And when he said, um, give them grace, if you've not read um, Elise Elise Fitzpatrick's book, Give Them Grace, it's an excellent book on bringing the gospel to bear on the discipline of your children. However, I've met people in churches that have been very frustrated because a group has gotten a hold of it and literally used it as an excuse not to discipline. We are sinners. We can take really great things and really mess them up. Uh, I think you can read this book and get great ideas about just making sure that your your motives are, are gospel-driven, your responses to your children are in line with the gospel. She does a fabulous job with that. But you could also take the book and just say, yeah, we're just going to give them grace. That when, when I was raising my children, we tried to have times in discipline, and we're going to talk about this a little later, where we said, you know, you deserve to be spanked at this point, but we're going to give you grace. But if you did that too often, and there was the common thing when they were called was, give me grace, give me grace, please, you know, plead for grace. But that in itself is also a picture of the gospel, you know, and to constantly have that as a conversation in your home. But um, just this book is out there, and I recommend people read it. But I, I'm always, I feel like the other extreme I'll talk about in a minute goes, people start saying they're abusing their children. You know, this is something that you pray about. Uh, Heart of the Home is a study that's out there on the table that some of you are familiar with. And Priscilla Stewart, who's my partner in this little Bible study for young moms, just begins to cry when she talks about discipline. She has three boys under five, and they are terrorizing her household. I witnessed it. It was so bad, her parents actually literally thought about taking one of the child and putting them in an institution. (laughs) (laughs) And we laugh about it now because he's a godly chairman of a board of deacons in a church in Montgomery, Alabama, you know. But we remember when he was terrorizing her household, and she just hung on to that peaceful fruit of righteousness. Just say, God, that's what I want. I want peace. And rather than coming up with a real system of discipline, beg God to show her what she needed to do. You have promised me the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Direct my steps. And tells a little bit about that story, about how God does that. So there's a whole lot of options out there, but the option is not just always give grace. (laughs) One thing to also keep in mind here, look at John 15. I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser, every branch in me. Here's another one of those pegs to hang things on. If your discipline is mechanical, sort of a, you do this, you get this. You do this, you get this. That's where you can begin to go astray. Because discipline in Scripture is always relational. Always relational. You're looking at the child, 
You're looking at yourself, what's going on in you, what's going on in your child. And that, it's training in relationship. And what happens with us is sometimes it becomes all about me and my convenience and I'm trying to control my child who is bothering my sense of convenience. My child is inconveniencing me. I've got to fix that. That's not relational. That's selfish. That's, <laughs> especially for those of you who are taskmaster judge people, well, that's what we're guilty of a lot of times. And so we, we keep in mind, discipline is relational. And I even argue that loving discipline is where relationship plays the biggest role. Discipline is not optional. It involves training a child Action and inaction are both forms of training. If you fail to do something, it communicates to the child. If you do something, it communicates. So discipline, it's not an option. You're either going to be positive or negative discipline. It's part of us bearing the image of God. God disciplines His people. Parents discipline their children. That's part of us bearing that image. And this is what Paul brings up in Ephesians 6. Obey your parents. Children, obey them in the Lord. Honor your father and mother. First commandment with a promise. And remember, honoring your father and mother is the child's opportunity to reflect in some way the way we are to honor God. And so you're training your child how to relate to God even as your child relates to you. Two types of discipline that you've got to keep in mind. Instructional and corrective or correctional. No one is born knowing how to do everything, right? Were any of you blessed with children who one day were using their diaper and then you decided to not use the diaper and they immediately were potty trained? Anybody have that blessing? You were that child? I, we've actually had it at a couple of places. You are, you're like a golden child. <laughs> but you, and also a girl. I'm also looking for boys. Are there any boys that have done that? I don't think it's going to happen either. Okay. So, the, but the idea is, it, it's not a light switch thing. In so many ways, as we try, as we train, we listen to explanations, we watch others. And the root problem in this situation is ignorance. And so your instructional discipline is happening always. A lot of times we only think of discipline in the sense of uh, the physical spanking. Or, but you've got to broaden your picture. Discipline is instructional as well. And your challenge as a parent in the midst of the circumstances is to say, what's going on here? Is this an issue of ignorance or defiance. Now here's the other problem. Remember how I told you I'm one of those, my parenting, I thought, hey, if I tell you once, you should get it? No. Sometimes the child really doesn't know. And that's the challenge of how do you, how do you judge that? That's why you're the parent and getting all the big bucks is being a parent. <laughs> is you have to make those judgment calls. Now, corrective, 
That involves the sin nature. Both of its brokenness. Our ignorance is part of the fall. It's not necessarily all part of the fall because maturity is, is just part of living. You don't know anything. You're trained. You grow up. But then also our ability to remember, to understand, that's part of our brokenness, our mortal state. But then you have to have that sin nature that's at play, and so we act selfishly, we act defiantly. And it's to our harm and the harm of others in relationship with others. And so here the problem is willfulness and not ignorance. And then you provide this when the child goes astray. And you've got to judge what's involved and how best to get the child back on the right track. And that's not going to be the same for every child. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and remember how we said, be intentional, be consistent. In this case, the consistency is addressing it. The intentionality comes in that given this circumstance, what is going to be the best response for the desired outcome of the development of your child? That's the intentionality comes in there. Be careful with the idea of punitive. And here's the reason that because of the grace of the gospel, we have to keep in mind the reality of Christ. Does Christ ever punish or does God ever punish us for our sin? Does God ever pun all right uh, uh, this is a trick question. I will admit that. So yet, but then if he punishes us for our sin, what did Christ die for on the cross? There's only two options. Go ahead. There, there's uh, well, there are consequences. Let's go with that. Consequences that what we have to be careful of is that somehow we are giving a pound of flesh for what we did. Because when Jesus says it is finished, he means all punishment. Now, what we're talking about, sometimes there are physical unpleasantness, a physical aspect that is tied to our correction. And that's where you're going. That that physical realm. And the idea though is if God says... You sin, so I'm going to punish you for that sin. You've got to pay for that sin. Then Jesus really didn't die for all of your sin. Or He didn't pay the full punishment. But that's different than saying, I told you that if you go astray, there will be consequences to that. Those consequences are unpleasant. And God... For by His own wisdom is saying, I'm going to allow you to suffer those consequences for your good 
and for your discipline, but not for your punishment. It's a very fine line. It's very nuanced. But we have to watch how we communicate to our child that we don't slip into a moralism. Now, I wish I knew now back when I was parenting because I made a mistake in here a lot of times and I would slip into the moralism of saying God's going to get you for this because what I didn't realize I didn't say that literally but it was along those lines but the idea was that that plays against the idea that Jesus Christ takes all the penalty now I when the child throws, well, but Jesus died for my sin, why are you punishing? Well, there are consequences. And God sometimes doesn't. I mean, I think God, in so many cases, I did not suffer the consequences of my wayward actions. But there are other times where God allowed me to suffer those consequences. But in all cases, it was for my good. Again, you know, the language is such an opportunity for the discipline becomes an opportunity for the gospel in every place. And, and we do want them to begin to understand that there are consequences from the garden on. There are consequences for our disobedience. And when we're talking about hanging the millstone around their head, casting them to the bottom of the sea, you know, if you cause a, a child to sin, one of the, the harms we can do to children is to get them in a, a path where they do not feel there are consequences for disobedience. And so you're always trying to redirect that path. There are consequences for disobedience. And sometimes you are giving them in the home, but ultimately God will have that discipline over them. And they will, he will deliver consequences for their disobedience. But punishment for sin has been paid for in Christ. My parents were really big on the because I said so. Uh, in, when you just said, oh, there's things I wish that I literally called Ted Tripp when I read this book and said, why did you not write this 15 years ago? <laughs> too late, too late, too late. And he said, because I was learning. I'm, the, I'm your age, Sue. I was still learning. <laughs> and I said, I know. But one of the things that, that he writes in this is, and it's such a great opportunity for Gospels, that God doesn't give us the Ten Commandments and say, do this because I said so. He begins the Ten Commandments with, I am the Lord your God who led you out of Egypt. And it's all based on that relationship where he's saying, you can trust me that I want what is best for you. And, um, and you're, that's one of your goals and in your inner discipline is I'm directing you because I am the one who loves you and cares and wants what's best and is in the, the you know, mode of protecting you and caring for you and directing you with a loving heart. Um, and when he wrote that, don't set to ever say to your child, because I'm the mother and I said so, I thought, oh, too late for that one, because I used it like over and over and over again. And um, it, it's not really biblical discipline. If we look at how God directs, which is what Hebrews is telling us to do, how does God do it? Do it like that. Great book, by the way. If you don't have it, get it. Remember how last night I said sometimes the, in the child's nature will begin to think moralism. Even, even as you're trying to parent in grace, the child may go the route of moralism and misinterpret what you're doing. It can also go on the other end where you're parenting by grace and the child takes it and goes libertinism. Where And, and I see this as I've over, worked with Christian schools where the grace message is going out 
Sometimes the child will take that and say, okay, grace means there are no consequences. Well, no, that's not right either. And I've had it brought into my, thrown in my face from my children, the idea of you're holding me account, that's legalism. I mean, they know the language very well. And they know I don't want to be legalistic. So, but it, remember, the sin nature is not only at play at you, it's in play in your children. And so you've got to be the adult and the parent and deal with that situation and say, no, it's not. Especially as your child is getting older or you've got a very, very intelligent child, even at a young age, they'll start to debate you on that. You're the parent and you remain in control as you lead them to a deeper understanding of the Gospel, which includes grace, consequences, obedience, all of that's part of the Gospel. Do you have something you want to say? Yes. As, as the child is developing and their ability to understand, and, and so when the child is very little, it will be more black and white, because that's the only way that... But as the, what you're having, And this is where I made a mistake with my oldest child, because, again, I didn't know what I was doing, and I've actually been able to tell him this. You know, Brandon, you were our firstborn. We didn't know how to do this parenting thing. And he actually developed mentally in, in many ways, not in all ways, but in many ways, cognitively, he was a quicker... He was developing quicker than what we thought in his ability to understand and embrace and respond and take responsibility. And, and there were times where I wish I could go back and do it differently because I didn't understand my child. And one more comment on that. Grace doesn't always feel like grace. Probably one of the greatest graces in Stephen Estock's life right now is his two wayward sons it's a great grace because of the things that he's re-examining and the way he's really we rarely come to hard places in our life and say thank you for this grace (laughs) (laughs) but god knows what we need and so our discipline sometimes like i said painful for a moment in the most painful moment is a great measure of god's grace upon the lives of our children what isn't grace is god taking his hands off and giving us over to the depravity of our own hearts. Not grace. And so you don't want to do that with your kids either. But that reminds me Nathan, of, God's grace. Well, it reminds me of a conversation I recently had with Paul Hahn, who's in Mission North America, which is another committee of the General Assembly. And he has a daughter that's sort of going through the similar things that my sons are. And so we were talking about it, praying about it. And he said, you know, Stephen, you're grieving over this part of your life and what's going on in your life. I said, yes, I am. And he said, you're hoping it will be relieved. And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, you don't know when God's going to bring relief. But, you know, at this time in your life, you know more about what it is to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It was Grace. That for some reason, God says, this is your path. So that you can know more about what Jesus is like.
Okay, thank you, Paul. <laughs> Let's close in prayer and doxology and all that. It was a great, it was such an encouragement to me. Even though I wanted it to say, oh, it'll be, it'll be over tomorrow. I would love that. But that's not what God has in store. At least right now. The challenges we face in our culture, we do face an idolatry of children. And I've heard this as I deal with parents, especially in a Christian school context. I've heard it from Christian school parents, public school parents, homeschool parents, whatever the case. My child is sweet and innocent. My child would never do something like that. It's really a flip. I actually saw it when I started working with the school. Parents were one way, and now parents actually come in. You know, When I was growing up, and even when I started working with the schools, the teacher was right. In today's environment, the teacher is suspect. The child is right. And in some cases, has your child ever lied before? Well, parents who are honest say yes. <laughs> then why, you know, why would, who has a better reason for lying, the teacher or your child? Some parents just can't see that. They really believe the teacher has it out for their child. It's this idolatry of children. I want my child to like me, so I'm not going to do anything that they feel is unpleasant because I don't want them to be upset with me. I want my child to think she is as valuable as I am, so we break down this parent-child root. We're just peers. Mm, yeah, well... You are the parent. They're the child. And there's nothing wrong with that relationship. There can, be, there can be immeasurable love that exists in that hierarchical order. Sometimes I would say to my children as we were disciplined, they were upset with me, I say, you know, sorry, God put me in this position and it's not an election. I'm your parent. God made me your parent. Take it up with Him whenever you see Him. <laughs> because it was, it was a place that God has, has put me. The idolatry of comfort. Now where this comes in, we're afraid to make our child uncomfortable. And a lot of times we've already said, we don't want to be uncomfortable, so we discipline in a wrong way. Idolatry of pleasing others. I was guilty of this. Sometimes I would discipline in a situation and I would people were watching and I thought, look, I'm a preacher, I need to do this in the right way so I can make all these people. No, I was losing the relationship with the child and all of a sudden this became a higher relationship. That is wrong. And sometimes this can happen with parents. That you're more concerned about how your parent or your in-laws view you rather than this relationship here. And that's, that's something you've got to take into consideration. A man-centered view of reality. That you lose sight of the fact that there is there are principalities and powers that are out there. And so man-centered, that's where we become, sometimes we become very behavioral, very psychological, and, and that's how we deal with our children. And you find this because that's what our culture that's how culture says you raise children. It leaves the spiritual realm out of it. It leaves the idea that there's a real sin nature that's at work in your life and in the life of your child. And then the other challenges we face, and we've already mentioned this, bad parenting. 
It could be bad parenting you went through, bad parenting that you've done, bad parenting that you've seen. Uh, those are all challenges we face in parenting. But the most important we keep in mind, discipline, parenting, it's a matter of the heart. We have a heart problem. The child has the heart problem. The only change for that is that ultimately God has to work. And God has to work in your heart. God has to work in the child's heart. But behavior flows out of the heart. And so when you're addressing the child, you have to address not only outside behavior, you also have to address the heart of the child. Here again, considering the de developmental stages of your child, the consequences, the very black and white, concrete consequences, a lot of times when they're younger, that's where you're going to focus, but you never lose sight of the fact that you also address the heart. And even at a very young age, you can begin to address the issues of the heart if for anything, to get you into the practice of addressing heart issues, and then you're going you're gonna to mix it in a different batch as the child grows older. Discipline is, should always be redemptive and not reactive. Oh, gosh, this is hard. Because the circumstances, you're just so... The anger is there, the frustration's there, the... The disappointment's there. The shame is there. There's so much stuff going on and you want to react. But you got, by grace, God working in you, you have to say this has to be redemptive because you're participating in the redemptive flow and what Christ is doing to, work, to roll out the benefits of His work on Calvary. And you're doing that. You're a fellow player in what's happening in the life of your child. And so you have to address the heart. You have to... Beware the false path of behavioralism. What I mean by that, behavioralism is very mechanical. Do this and you get this result. And, and if we just do the right things, we will get the right results. No, that takes the whole idea of, of the reality of heart, the reality of God. You got something, Sue? You're next. Oh yeah, okay. I could talk to you about this for hours and hours because um, this is, I have such a personal experience with this book. The Blessing. I was raised in a home with great parents who loved Jesus and this church. Uh, but my mother was a, sort of the taskmaster judge. And uh, we never felt like it, whatever we did, as good as we could be, it wasn't enough. She had very high expectations for her girls. My older sister Literally in her late ten years, just sort of checked out, and I remember her looking at me one day and said, "Sue, don't worry about it. No matter what you do, you're not going to make her happy." Uh, you know, in that mentality. But yet, she was a very she was a, a kindergarten teacher, very loved her children, her students felt loved. Uh, but you know, at we, for some reason, her love for us was always sort of out there, waiting for us to measure up to that expectation. My mom died of breast cancer thirty years ago um, this year. And uh, 30 years ago, I began training, uh, teacher training, for what was then Christian Education Publications of the PCA. And we were given the book, The Blessing to Read. And as I read that book, what John Trent and Gary Smalley do is they talk about how in all of their counseling, what people are struggling with revolves around how they did or did not receive the blessing from their parents. So it's by, by nature that we, we long for the affirmation of our mother, the affirmation for our father. And they were talking about sitting in room with people who, who just never got it. 
and what that builds. And I began to see my mother, <laughs> whose, whose own mother died when she was 12 years old. Nobody in the family wanted her. She went to live with an uncle who was only her uncle by marriage. And um, just the life that she had and, and the feeling, the expectation that she had, if, if she had three daughters who had a mother, who was always there and a faithful, good mother and everything. We were going to be perfect because all of her mistakes happened because she lost her mother. You know, that that mindset developed. And one of the things John Trent and Gary Smalley talk about is how empowering the blessing is, but how impossible it is to give the blessing if you haven't received it. And I thought, my mom never got it. How could she give it to me? And literally, as she lay dying, I would climb in the bed with her, and she had gotten um, radiation cancer, and her flesh was literally rotting off of her body. And I would, I would climb in the bed with her and say, I began to bless her. And there's several things with a blessing that go here. Just touching her at that time in her life, people didn't really want to touch her. You know, and holding her close, like, I, you can't make me not love you, touch. And and uh, I began to tell her things. And like, Mom, you know, I have a master's degree in education, but I'm a teacher because of the way you taught me. I learned to teach watching you. Really? And then I began to just to speak things into her life. Like, you know, I know you struggle sometimes with my relationship with, with Steve, and you don't feel like he, he was the best thing for me, but I learned how to love him by watching how you love Daddy. You just taught us all how to, you know, and I began... My sisters, I would visit and I'd go back to another state and my sisters would call and they would say things like, she knows she's dying, she's getting sweet. <laughs> you know what she said to me today? And my father even began to recognize and what I couldn't even explain to them that God had shown me how to empower my mother to give the blessing because I was able to give it to her. So giving blessing isn't just like down to your children. It goes both ways. If you were in a home that you really never got that affirmation and that blessing, it's probably because it's it's generational sin. It keeps going back. But then John Trent and Gary Smalley bring it all together. Michelle Anthony has a whole chapter in her book on spiritual family about just being blessing givers about how to really receive the blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we have received the greatest blessing from our Heavenly Father at all. He says, I choose you. You are mine. You can't make me not love you. We talked about that in Covenant Promises. Like we have received that great blessing. And then be called as, as children of God to give it. And first and foremost to our children. They can make us not like them so easily. <laughs> but because of what God has done in our lives... We can say, you can't make me not love you. But we can go even a step beyond that and make sure that we are always touching them with a loving blessing, laying hands on them. And they give these five, and they give biblical description. If you can get the book, we don't have any in the bookstore right now. I would have brought one. But get the book. You can get it on Amazon or, or get it through our bookstore. We'll order it for you and try, try to get it cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and attaching high value, just saying in, in every way you're telling them the gospel, Jesus loved you enough to die for you. He made you just like you are perfectly. And we get to find what it is God's purpose. And the, the end, the, the committing yourself to that commitment is when they're at their very worst. You do things like Stephen did when he shared that last night of saying, I am so proud of you. You make me so proud. And it stunned him. He gave he gave his adult son the blessing. 
And and what it is is we need this. Why? Because we're all just really selfish and need people telling us, wait, no. We are made in the image of God. And our God longs for one thing. He is jealous for the praises of his people. There's actually an Old Testament word for that. Proscuthia knows the Greek. And I can't remember what the, uh, the Hebrew word is. It actually means bowed knee. Being made in God's image, we all need to know that someone has bowed the knee to us in their life and their commitment to say, you know, I may have to tell you, you got to leave home someday because what you're doing is hurting yourself and I can't support that within the bounds <clears throat> of my house. But that door will always be open. And if you ever need me, I'm there. And whatever we do in life, you're always going to be giving me, just like we give God, the opportunity to prove that I love you. Our children need to hear in our life and our words every day from the youngest age into until, you know, again, God takes us home. If I could look the entire world over and choose a son to be mine, I would choose you. They need to hear our life and words and actions saying that because that, in effect, is what God has said to us. Um, and it, it's a powerful. So this is part of discipline, though. Uh, it's like earning the right. God, in the giving his life for us, has the right to direct our paths. And so in, in this kind of blessing, we are constantly earning favor in our children's lives to direct their life. Sometimes it just means staying home and praying. <laughs> but uh, it's a powerful thing. And it, it, like I said, I saw the turn on it just in a matter of days with my mother. She lived to be 62, but had never gotten a parental blessing. If you haven't ever gotten one and it's too late and you will never get one, then I invite you to receive the one from your Heavenly Father. And now give it. And give it to your children. After hearing Sue teach on this a number of years ago, I started something with my daughter. I'll call my daughter, Morgan, you're MFD. My favorite daughter. And she said, Dad, I'm your only daughter. <laughs> I said, well... It doesn't matter. You're still my favorite daughter. And so it's been fun now that we she'll actually sign birthday cards or something like that, MF, MFD, because that's what she knows that's what I'm talking about. So that's it. See, Sue teaches me as we do this. <laughs> Communication and affirmation, those are your tools. And discipline develops. We've already talked about this. And you have to judge, is this ignorance or rebellion? And then respond in kind. As they mature, you engage them in the process of this development. And this is where it depends on the child. And you're trying to bring them in. Sometimes you'll bring them in, okay, you know this behavior is wrong. What do you think needs to be the consequence for this? And sometimes they come up with some wild things that are just like super hard. And But then you know we're going to back it off a little bit. But you're trying to teach them to become more adult in how they live. Always flows out of the relationship and you have to communicate. Behavior does not change the relationship. The relationship is not less. I don't love you less because of that behavior. I love you Period. Now, your behavior is not in line with this relationship that we have. 
and I, that I want, let's get back in that relationship. Here's something that somebody taught us a number of years ago. As you look at your life with your child, there are different phases as a parent. You are a caregiver, cop, enforcing the laws, <laughs> coach, and consultant. And so what happens is your child's control over their life, when they're young, they have very little control. You have all the control. But as they grow, as they mature, they're going to have to take more control. It's part of being an adult. And so your control lessens, and that happens over time. Now, this area where they're going back and forth, that's where the conflict comes. Now, guess what ages normally come into play? Puberty, high school, junior high, upper elementary, into where... And so what happens, the conflict really happens when you as a parent are wanting to stay on this control at the higher control and not give your child a measure of control. That's the challenge. That's where the conflict, that's where you need grace <laughs> to be able to maneuver that together. Base your standards on the Word of God as you come up with here's the behavior, here's the consequence. Make sure the standard is based in Scripture so that you're knowing it's not just your desire to create rules. And then the character of the Holy Spirit is forming those who trust in Christ. And you keep that in mind with your child. And then you do, like we were talking about, jumping on the bed. The reason why we have this is because of your safety. And so you present that. And then you come up with these mutually agreed expectations, especially as the child gets older. Here are the, here are the consequences. What's the consequences for us? Right now with, with my daughter, there's the consequences of grades or whatever because she wants to do well. She knows she can be lazy. All right, what's the consequence if you don't do your homework? You know you're supposed to do your homework. Those types of things. And so that type of discipline, you're helping the child develop in self-control. The shifting unilateral standards are what really provoke the children. Just another great resource. That's our, our mantra at CDM to connect people with people and people with resources. This was my lifeline, disciplining my children. There's some good things in it. He takes a little bit more of a hard line, as you can see, withhold, not correction, Bruce Ray. But there's an appendix in the back of the book. And for every possible disobedient is a list of scriptures. And it always proved really well. We had this by our bedside and it marked, you know, just an attitude. You know, how do you tell them that biblically an attitude is disobedience? Scripture references a several page appendix with just the scripture verses that you can read. Just about every possibility for disobedience. If you, if, if you have the kind of child that really needs some instruction on why what you are doing does not please God and isn't his best for you, uh, withhold not correction. And then Sue's already mentioned giving the praise to let them know it's the encouragement. And then also, there are times when you show mercy and say, here's the situation, here's, here's the behavior, the consequence that we agreed on is this, but this time I'm going to show you mercy. And of course, they will go, oh, mercy, mercy, mercy. Well, no. But this time, I think you need the consequence. But you see, you're the parent. 
You make that determination what you think is best for the child. Time out. Well, we've come to a break time. What do you want us to do, Richard? Do you want us to press on through or take a break, come back? And what do you want to do, Sue? With the last thing, you know, this might be a good Q&A time a little bit. You'll have more opportunity for that in the morning. But if there's anything that you're thinking right now, because I think discipline just gets a lot of things going in your head. Like, I've been doing this, and is this the best thing? Or what would you, you know, uh, are there any questions right now that you have just pressing that you're thinking of before we take a break and come back? The Deuteronomy 6 part is very much on just some helpful uh, practical hints for child training. It's only going to take me 30 minutes, I promise. All right. Before you get to worship. But on this area of, there are a few more slides that are real specific, that are helpful, but I don't think we have to go through them as much as you just, um, reading them and, and getting it about timeout, spanking, that sort of thing. They're really practical. Any questions? Boy, they're smart. They just, uh -huh. they got it all to, um, I think this is an important point to okay. make before we take our break. As you look at corporal punishment, spanking, spanking spoon. He uses that word. See, and I tell him, I said, that's not the word we use. We don't use punishment. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I meant to change that slide. Uh, corporal discipline. Thank you. <laughs> corporal discipline. Uh, physical correction is not the only or even the first way. Taskmaster judge. Yeah. Well, that's what you have to watch it. It has to be tailored to the child. What works best for your child? For my daughter, just... Saying, honey, you know you're not supposed to do that. She would just melt because daddy was upset with her. My oldest boy, bring it on. <laughs> I don't think that spanking was hard enough. So you want to tell the story about your child there, Sue, about spanking? And uh, Jessica? About spanking? Are you remembering what I'm talking about? Oh. oh, yeah. Well, just, you know, how different children are. My first son, we would take him in and do what Bruce Ray describes, you know, we pray with him and, and um, you know, tell me how to heart it. Before we could even get to what you've done, you know, he was just like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, mommy. I need a spanking. I'm not doing it again. Oh, and he said, pray with me. You know, and we were like, when he was two years old, we said, man, we were writing a book. We got this thing down. <laughs> we are good. And then we had Jessica. And he would take her to be spanked. She would turn around like this. And when we finally get her over the bed, you would give her one lick. And she'd turn around and she'd say, don't you hit me again. <laughs> Same gene pool. <laughs> What's that about? You know, and, and I mean, I, there are people that I know that knew her when she was little that still say, is she still screaming? You know, because, and, you know, how did that, how did that contrast, you know, happen? And I tell people, this, don't you hit me again. Now it's the mother of three, and she is my very best friend. But it didn't stop for a long time. And so, you, you you know, you can't say, oh, we'll always do this. Oh, always do this. Oh, if you do this, this will be. You, parenting should send you to your knees with every single child. What is it, oh, God, that will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in this child's life? And how long, how long, oh, Lord, will I have to wait for it? <laughs> so, yeah. And discipline, again, is never, never a venting of parental anger. 
And guys, really, I'm but if you it. make it through years of parenting and you never find yourself going for discipline out of just sheer frustration, you're like the miracle worker. <laughs> <laughs> you're because like you're, you're pushed, you're pushed to that. I used to pray with Jeff, a lot my oldest son, he loses his temper when he got older. And, you know, just to, we needed to pray for the Holy Spirit in our responses because I know my kids saw me respond in anger and in frustration. And um, one time there was a ball throwing in the house, and they knocked over my mother's antique lamp that I one of the things I had taken after she passed away. And there was this shattered lamp on the floor. And uh, I went in at the shattering, and they're all standing there. And they look like they're standing before firing squad. You know, just, they know. You know, and I, that was enough. I cleaned up the lamp. I was walking out, and I said, you guys know what you did. I said, you disobeyed, and the consequence is really bad. But this is just a memory. I'll always have it. And I walked out into it and left the room. As I turned the corner, my oldest son said, now that was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Not Sue Jakes, but the Holy Spirit just moved through this room. But that's the neat thing about discipline. If you're really honest with yourself and with your children, you can ask them to forgive you when what they see is your own personal anger and frustration. But what you want them to see is that God is at work in you and that sometimes he really does rule and reign, and that they are able to see the evidence of that. But uh, they will see the evidence of your own nature, your own sinful nature as well. Just be ready to admit it and ask forgiveness for it and move on. Yeah, for me, a lot. My wife was very good about saying, "Well, you know, you were you gave into your anger there." And so, especially, I remember a time with my middle child, my second son. I had disciplined him out of anger, and. So that happened, but then my wife was speaking truth into my life, and I went back to him, and that was an opportunity for me to repent to my son and say, son, what you did was wrong, but how I responded was also wrong. And I've already asked God for forgiveness because I was, it was an outburst of anger. It was a manifestation of my sin. But I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And that, that can throw your child for a loop because your child's all of a sudden you're treating them as a human being. And especially as the relationship grows, you'll find that discipline in your child develops. Your, your child really wants to maintain that relationship and live in a positive relationship. And when your child knows that they've done something that has brought tension into the relationship, um, that's that hurts them, and so you've got to confirm your love for them, and know that you're wanting to be about because their own life they'll think, oh, I've broken the relationship, and it's never going to get back. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what was it when your dad was on his knees apologizing? What were what were your emotions about your dad right there in that moment? You felt safe.
And that is a key thing. You are always one who's under authority. And so you are responsible for your behavior to that person, to God, person who has a relationship with you. And now you're trying to do your best out of love for him to love your child well. And you maintain that because in that moment, you are demonstrating that God is real. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Son like Jessica, all right. <laughs> And 
and then the previous thing that is the other thing about children that a lot of people do, and as we talked a little bit about prayer last night, we are really willful with what we do as a child. Do remember that we are in a world and that you are battling not him, but the enemy. We don't battle ourselves with that. And when the battle really starts to feel like it's something you and your child, you engage all of the tools of the spiritual world, other people praying in the body. But we really saw that to become one man of the world and to give a prayer that they can pray. And you really will pray it that in the name of Jesus, that the blood of Jesus overflows the room, that the enemy will not have his way with her, that God will protect us from that enemy. And, um, and I've seen that in other influences of other people that have told me. We're not using our best tools sometimes when it comes to the behavior of our children. And the enemy is after it. He's been watching for 6,000 years. And he knows that God has not grown a kingdom like the massive revival where hundreds of thousands of people have entered into the kingdom of God. For 6,000 years, God has built his kingdom because he's not a church of compassion. That's it. And so you don't, you don't think you're right to war. You don't think what you're doing is part of this war. It is the very heart of the war. So when we do parenting conferences, I always say, this is like a spiritual armament factory here. You know, you're, you are, you are being armed, equipped for, for the battleground that is about all of eternity. You know, in the end, you, when you read the last chapter, you know, we don't win because, oh, this person led a mighty, you know, revival. Thousands of people came from the Lord and all that. said, this is prepared for the overcomers. And it's that one at a time, at a time. Praise God that he doesn't give us all of the possibilities of the fall to overcome. But he spread it out among us. <laughs> but as a body, we pretty much will touch every every possibility that the fall can bring into the lives of our children, of our homes, of our families. You know, and uh, that, that's its joy. And so, you know, when you hear this question, how much do anything like if you go eat rugs, lay it on the floor and say, Lord, show me what it is that I can do in this battle to sustain your arms, to wait on them, work in their heart, you know, to just, and we, we probably as a church need to do that together, the body more and more, to train for our children because they are, are and have always been the whole of the of God. He said, see to the woman. <laughs> we're there to target. The enemy wants our children. And we're in a battle over their souls. I say amen to that. The one thing I would add is um, what's happening in your son is trying to transfer the bad behavior from himself to you. And you have to keep the focus where it is and say, this unpleasant situation you know, whatever language you would use, is because of, it would be unkind for mommy not to give the consequence. It would be unkind for mommy to allow you to continue in this behavior because it's not honoring to God, it's not honoring to your sister. As the child gets over, older, then you can bring in, okay, what, what would be a proper consequence for this behavior? But rather than them transferring it to you, you've got to keep it going to him. Now the enemy, I would say that what your child just said, that's a voice from the enemy. <laughs> that's a voice from his sin nature. And, 
you know. So that's what you can do. Yeah. But if I, you know, when you start getting those mom's feelings, you just know, boy, I'm going to tell you more because I'm going to be doing this. Or you can just say, you know what? And the enemy will come at you too and say, begin to doubt. Now, you also need to hear your child and you need to do the self-reflection. And there might be a time where you have to come back after the heat of the moment when they're trying to transfer or blame. Then you come back and you say, you know, Johnny, when you said that, Mommy does, I do struggle with making sure I discipline you in a way that's honoring to God. Let's pray together about that. Now that needs to be separate from the discipline. But what happened, you're building the relationship is part of the what flows out of that period of discipline because you're saying, Mommy's is subject to God. You're subject to God. And I want you to grow in a way that's pleasing to Him, even as I want to behave in a way that's pleasing. So that's something you can keep in mind. And so every now and then, we feel like things were getting out of town. We were getting back out of town. Our kids knew that things were up when we would say, we're having a family meeting. You know? <laughs> we would sit down and we'd say, this isn't happening and it should be. You know? well, even from our own you know, confessing and repenting part to, okay, here's, here's what the rules are. Here's why. We're, you know, it takes time every now and then to instruct when nobody's done anything wrong and it's not you know, a big family crisis that we're coming up. You know, to really talk about why it is um, that there are rules and why it is that we have been given the, um, the, the task of parenting by God in our lives and what that means. You know, if you can't come and talk about it, then everybody's not afraid. It's not an easy. This is the final. This is the last one of this slide. Uh, here's a proposal for you to consider. Again, this is not mechanical. It's just things that we're trying to wrap things up, bring it together. Take your child to a private place. There's no need to bring shame on them, shame on you. You're dealing with the relational development, and there can be a distraction. Sometimes if you're in the midst of a public place and the bad behavior is happening, that's where you say, we'll deal with this at home. But if you say that, you better do it. We'll deal with this at home or we'll deal with this in the car, but you don't, there's no need to bring shame into it. Tell the child specifically what he's done. You did this, and that shows a heart of this. So you're tying it to the heart issues. Have the child acknowledge what they did so that they understand, yes, I did do that. Sometimes they'll fight you on that and say, okay, well, what happened? And this is also sometimes where you can explore, and it's this is an art, not a science. You're exploring, was this ignorance or was it rebellion? And so you're trying to get the child, you're, the child is communicating with you. Remind them of the purpose of the discipline and what will happen. Here is the behavior, here's the consequence. You're communicating, you're the parent, you're in control, and so your, your emotions to whatever... <laughs> The best extent you can need to be under control. You need to sh show the fruit of the spirit of self-control. After spanking, confirm your love for the child. 
This can be in different ways, and also it varies on the child. Sometimes the child doesn't want to hug, but you need to hug them anyway. Sometimes you say, okay, we'll hug. However, and you know best how your child receives love, but you have to keep in in your goal is to show love for your child, to tell your child, both verbally and physically, you have the relationship. The relationship's still there. You still love your child. And then pray with him or her. That you've at, they ask God for forgiveness, and they know the punishment for their sin was taken on Christ. This is the consequence. And then pray that the Holy Spirit will change. This is a things to think about. You'll have to adjust it based on your child, your situations, who you are, but that's just a method to consider. Let's take a break.